You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. I'm really uh, excited to be here with you. I, um, because I'm a pastor of a church, I very rarely actually get to be in church plants, though all day, every day, all I'm doing is working with church planners and thinking about church planning and trying to figure out how to plant church. I, I, it's pretty rare that I actually get to go to one. Um, so I'm um, thankful to be here with you today. I'm going to pray before we start. Lord Jesus, I love you with all my heart, and um, what I want to do today is encourage this congregation. I want to um, acknowledge uh, your generosity to them and your kindness to them. And God, I want to pray for rootedness for this church. I want to pray that you would reaffirm today their um, commitment to see New City Fellowship become a rooted part of this community, part of the fabric of Manassas. So, Lord Jesus, please do that. We ask, God, I pray that you would be um, speaking louder than I dedicated this time to hearing from you. So speak, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So <clears throat> I'm really proud of you. I want to just say that. I know I don't know you, and it's weird to say I'm proud of somebody that I don't know, and it's probably weird for you to hear that, but church planning is really difficult. I mean, nobody knows that more than you guys who have been deeply engaged in this. If you're like, I don't, it hasn't been difficult for me. Well, you haven't been deeply engaged in it. Um, uh, be, it church planning is really, really difficult. Uh, it's so difficult that it would be described by somebody like William Carey as going down into a pit. And um, I meet with church planners all the time, work with church planners, as does Mark, one of my colleagues who's here with me. And um, it's so common. I mean, almost every conversation I'm having with a church planner is me encouraging them not to quit. Uh, I mean, can you imagine uh, our business is to start new churches? And I don't know if you've noticed, but our society is not super excited about churches. Um, they're not super excited about the gospel. So when, when I go out, when you go out into a community and say, I'm here to start a new church, it sounds to people like you're there to open a soda stand or an apothecary. You know, it's like really, really irrelevant. It's super out of touch. It's like, don't you know that we don't need those anymore, that our society doesn't do that now? And so the fact that you're here after five years means you're either in incredibly stubborn or, um, or you're incredibly faithful. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the latter, and I would just want to tell you that I'm proud of you and I'm thankful. Um, five years is a key marker for a church plant. <clears throat> Mark and I talk to, uh, about this all the time with, with uh, pastors. It's a key marker because uh, if a church plant makes it to five years, the likelihood that it makes it through its entire life cycle, which is about 80 or 90 years, uh, is exponentially higher. Most churches that die, die within the first five years. Uh, church plants that die, die within the first five years. So the fact that you're here means that you'll probably be here 30 or 40 years from now, statistically speaking. Um, now, you won't be here 30 or 40 years from now. Will won't be here 30 or 40 years from now, probably. Uh, but the all, in all likelihood, um, New City, who you've never heard of, who have never heard of you, will um, the gospel will be preached for the next 80 or 90 years because of the work that you've done. I hope you feel the weight of that and the importance of that. Families will be restored. Marriages will be put back together. Um, people will hear the gospel of Jesus and go to heaven when they die because of the ministry of this church. And so it, week to week, it seems like, oh, this is such a drag. This is so hard. This is so difficult. What you're doing is so important. Today, um, Will asked me to talk about church planning. It's my favorite subject, and I could talk for hours on it, like he said, uh, but I'm just going to uh, try to keep it to 15 minutes, as he commanded. Um, <clears throat> and, um, 
and uh, I've got two points, okay? First point is new churches are needed. The second point is the Great Commission is explicitly a call to start new churches. So sometimes when I'm sitting at a stoplight, maybe you've had this experience, I look over at the concrete median that's right to my left, and um, inevitably there are weeds busting through the cracks. Have you ever noticed that? Is anyone else mesmerized by that? I mean, there are weeds coming through the cracks, clawing, clawing their way toward the sun. I think the odds... Um, uh, again, I think of the odds against which these seeds, these weeds sprouted. Could there be any worse environment for a living organism to grow? Uh, there's the constant buzz of traffic, the smog, the oil, the smut, the litter, the heat, and that's not to mention the fact that there is virtually no water or sun. Yet there are stubborn little plants pushing through the cracks of Independence Avenue and grasping for the light above the asphalt. City road weeds are nature's equivalent to the church. Somehow, the church, she thrives in danger, in distress. Somehow she grows without sun or rain. Her success is inevitable. Have you ever considered the fact, the, uh, the incredible odds against Christianity? There's the self-proclaimed son of God and his ragtag band of merry misfits, and he first preached the gospel to them on the other side of the world. Yet somehow it made its all the way here. To, it made its way all, all the way here to Manassas. Huh, that's weird, right? That's super unexpected. Go through it. Crossed oceans. It climbed mountains. It traveled on horse to make it to you and me here in Manassas. And within just a few short generations, Christianity grew from an obscure regional uprising to a worldwide movement. And here's what I'm here to say to you. It happened through the multiplication of small churches just like yours. Churches that at first didn't look like much, led by men and women who didn't look like much either. These tenacious men and women stood boldly in the face of famine and persecution and peril and sword. The church was an unstoppable force that Jesus himself claimed the gates of hell couldn't prevail against. Churches, small gatherings of Christians in pubs and parks and pavilions and public schools all over the world are a weekly renewal source for the body of Christ. Just think about living the Christian life, obeying Jesus without the constant rhythm of the church in your life. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing to think about. It's a constant renewal source. We are to inhale. We are the inhale of the Christian family to gather energy and inspiration. We need to exhale to the neighborhoods and nations as individual ambassadors for God each and every week. You see how the rhythm of the church weekly in our lives provides this encouragement and inspiration that we need to go and spread the message of Jesus. What I'm saying is the church works. God's church works. It's not in distress. In a few minutes, I'm going to tell you some troubling statistics about the state of the church in North America, but I want you to uh, see, and I want to preface those comments by reminding us that the church belongs to Jesus, and he told us that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. And so that means that no matter how small or weak or fragile things seem here, how discouraging it could be to come here week after week and be a part of this thing that seemingly is just creeping along, if even sometimes going backwards, that we are under a sovereign rule and protection, the sovereign rule and protection of God, and, and the church and God and his gospel will break through even the hardest of concrete in due time. For those, uh, as for those troubling statistics that I mentioned, here we go. Churches, just like people, have life cycles. I've already mentioned that uh, to you once. 
They have life cycles. This is something that's very rarely talked about, but unfortunately true. They are born and they die. Liquidate their assets and they stop gathering together. If you don't believe me, get on a plane and go to Jerusalem and look for the church that was pastored by James, Jesus' half-brother. You know, if James's brother, or Jesus' brother starts a church, it's probably going to make it, right? I mean, that's what we would think, since Jesus is the founder of the whole, the whole movement. Uh, uh, but, and then you could skip over to Turkey, and you could find the church at Antioch that we read about its powerful beginning in Acts chapter 13, and you'd see that it's not there either. Neither of those churches exist now. And they, uh, they existed in a place where there's virtually no churches anywhere around them today. And so... Um, those churches are closed, they're disbanded, they're scattered. American churches are closing too, and they're not just closing one or two at a time, they're closing by the thousands. Today, as we gather for church, consider that 135 fewer churches are meeting in America than were this time last Sunday. That's 6,000 churches disbanding every month, 7,000 churches melting under the heat of an increasingly secular society every single year. The same sort of thing happened in Western Europe over the course of the 20th century, particularly during the 1960s. During this period, Western Europe experienced dramatic changes, including the terminal decline of virtually all large organized churches and the pervasive Christian culture, which had influenced Western Europe for such a long time, virtually disappeared. Um, Today, the streets in major cities in Western Europe, if you've ever been there, you've probably noticed, are peppered with church buildings that outlasted the congregations that erected them. Hundreds of church buildings are now being repurposed as nightclubs and mosques and restaurants and, and concert venues and cafes and modern condominiums and museums and mosques. They stand as stark proof that Western Christianity is, uh, Western culture is spitting Christianity out of its mouth. Do you know that according to the uh, status of global Christian, uh, global Christianity study conducted by Gordon Conwell Seminary, that on average, eight people a day come to faith in Jesus Christ in the entire continent of Europe. Eight people a day. And about 1,900 people a day come to faith in Jesus Christ in North America. Now, that sounds pretty good, except for when you consider that in North America, 2,000 people a day die of COVID alone. That means many, many more people are dying every day than are coming to faith in Jesus Christ every day. And in Europe, the, the 10 in 2012 as a sampling, more than half of all American churches uh, didn't add one new member. Each church, nearly 3 million uh, previous church, go uh, I'm sorry, each year, nearly 3 million previous churchgoers enter the ranks of the religiously unaffiliated. The unaffiliated, the nuns as they're known, is the fastest growing religious group in North America right now. It's not really that shocking if you think about it. You know, sin kills everything it touches, and churches are made up of sinners. So uh, as long as sinners are involved in church, it's probably going to be dying. Um, uh, churches will be dying, too. Every year in North America, 4,000 churches begin. And of those that are started, only about 35% um, or, or about 35% of them close before their fifth anniversary. 35% of new churches close before their fifth anniversary. That leaves about 2,600 new churches net every year that are planted. While churches are dying at a significantly higher rate of about, like I said before, 7,000 churches every year. All things considered, the number of churches in the U.S. is decreasing by 4,400 churches per year, while our population continues to grow by more than 3 million people per year. Okay? So new churches are needed. That's my first point. Second point, the Great Commission is a call to start new churches. 
Uh, Jesus was a church planner. You may not have think of him like that, but he's the hero of the Bible. He established the universal church. So he's a church planner because he came from heaven to make the church. He like did the most cosmic church plant ever, right? He made the whole universal church when he came. But he's also a local church planter. He led a small group of disciples. He taught them the word of God. He in fact was the word of God. He shared communion with them and he commissioned them out to go and plant new churches. So Jesus was a pastor of a small church that multiplied a lot. Paul, he was a church planner. He commissioned by the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13. It was the beginning of this incredible church planning streak by the apostle. Over the course of 13 years, Paul embarked on three missionary journeys during which he covered more than 7,000 miles. The apostles, all of them, not just Paul, all of them were church planters. The apostles themselves were church planters. The book of Acts is the account of their church planting ministry. If you read the book of Acts, you're reading a story of church planting. They planted churches with little support from other churches and a great, against great political and religious opposition. Ultimately, their commitment to obey the Great Commission and plant churches cost all of them their lives. And lastly, and this is the point I really want you to see today, the Great Commission itself is a call to start new churches. You might ask the question, where in the Bible do we see church planting? Well, where do you not see church planting? The entire New Testament is the story of church planting. Every letter in the New Testament is a, is a letter written to a church planter, most of them from a church planter about the context of church planting. All the characters of the New Testament are church planting team members. You, as a church planting team member here, as a part of New City Fellowship, you are caught up in the, the very, the very um, movement that, is, that we read about in the New Testament in the book of Acts, and it, that is the entire context of the New Testament. But there is an explicit place in the Bible, it's a place we're really familiar with, where the Great, the Great Commission, where we see um, church planting commanded to Christians explicitly. And you may not think about it like that, but the Great Commission is fulfilled by church planting. And the Great Commission uh, can't be properly fulfilled without planting new churches. We can't obey the Great Commission unless we plant new churches. You may think it's a bold statement, but let me give you two reasons why I'm absolutely certain, I'm confident, I'm sure... The Great Commission, Jesus' word, go therefore into all nations, baptize them, uh, teaching them to observe all things, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. Why that message from Jesus is explicitly a command for us to plant two church churches. There's two reasons. Number one, the substance of the Great Commission, go, baptize, teach, make disciples, is also the activity of the local church. So when Jesus said, go, baptize, teach, make disciples, he was describing what we're doing right now. So why didn't Jesus just say, go plant churches? Well, he, he didn't say that because there was no church. He was describing something that didn't yet exist in the way that if I was describing something to you that didn't yet, that yet exist, I need, to, I need to focus on the things it does, not on the name of the thing because it doesn't yet exist. So Jesus, when he said, go baptize and teach and make disciples, he was describing the church. We know he was describing the church because there's no other organization, club, there's the, you know, you name it. There's all kinds of social organizations out there, NGOs and everything we can imagine, but none of them have the primary job of baptizing, teaching, and making disciples. That's the local church. So when Jesus said, go baptize, teach, and make disciples, he was saying, go make churches. We know it for that reason. The second reason we know that uh, the Great Commission is a call to start new churches. And this one is the really compelling one for me, is the response of the apostles or the hearers. Think about the way the apostles responded to Jesus' words, go baptize, teach, and make disciples. This is crazy. They heard it. They heard what Jesus said. This is right before his ascension, right? So they gather together. They spent their whole life in ministry with him. They hang, and they're hanging out with Jesus, and he's about to ascend into heaven. And he says, Go baptize, teach, and make disciples. And they walk away from that encounter. And what do they do with the rest of their lives? We read about it in the book of Acts. They do nothing 
but go and start new churches. And each of them, hold one, lost their lives for it. And the one that didn't lose his life for it was exiled onto an island for it. So what we see here is that the apostles heard Jesus say, baptize, go baptize, teach, and make disciples, and they responded by starting new churches. The apostles, those 12 men, were listening to Jesus and his words, and they responded to Jesus' commission by doing what? By planting churches. The book of Acts records for us the response of the apostles. They responded with, with, uh, with planting new churches. The apostles heard the Great Commission. They responded by planting churches. If you and me, we hear the Great Commission, and we respond by de- doing any other thing, who do you think misheard it? The apostles or us? When we plant a new church, it's like we set up a factory for making new disciples in a community. I mean, just think about the, the effect of a church in a community. I don't know about you, how you came to faith in, God, uh, in Christ, uh, how you got to know God, but I got to know God like latchkey kids, and it, like, things were just crazy in my household. In a church, uh, a man came and revitalized a dead church in my community, and that church started sharing the gospel with my family and won my family to Christ. If, if that church had not done that, the entire trajectory of my life would be different. I have five children. One of them's here. My daughter, Bettina, is here with me today. I have five children, and the, our, our entire family tree is different. My 20-year-old son is a missionary in the Middle East right now. He would not be doing that. He would not be living in the Middle East if it weren't for that church reaching out to my family. Just think about the compounding effect a church can have. What you're doing is so important. Please don't give up. It's so important. In 1845, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, uh, who you may have heard of or know as the Prince of Preachers, he uh, talked to his congregation about the issue of church planting, and he said this. He said, we encourage our members to leave us to found new churches. Nay, we seek to persuade them to do it. We want them to scatter throughout the land to become the godly seed that God shall bless, and I believe as long as we do this, we will prosper. And I say the same thing to you as church. As long as you do this, you'll prosper. I want to show you uh, just a quick picture before I sit down today. This is uh, the church I planted in um, uh, Dumfries. You know, Dumfries is like the armpit of Northern Virginia. It's not, not a great spot. <clears throat> but uh, the church I planted in Dumfries, um, uh, we set out from the very beginning to be a church that, make, uh, that plants new churches. So um, we have never grown very much. Our, our fellowship looks a whole lot like yours. Uh, we have about uh, 300 people on a Sunday morning. At our five-year anniversary, we did not have this many people in the room. Okay, so if you need to be encouraged by our failure, be encouraged by our failure. We did not have this many people in the room at our five-year anniversary. And, uh, but every year, we train new church planters. I spent a part of my time equipping them. And we have this family tree now. We've planted a 17 this. And our church may die tomorrow. I mean, we may be stricken from the planet, but the ministry that we are part of will continue on because of that. And I want you to be encouraged. I, I know things are tough. I know they're difficult. I know sometimes you might feel discouraged, and, uh, and I, want you to, I want you to be encouraged by our story. The story of the gospel, the message of Christianity, the spread of Jesus' message and ministry in the world happens on the back of many small churches, not on a few large ones. What you guys are doing is incredibly important. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for these people. I pray that you would bless them so much. I pray that you would take care of them. I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them today. In Jesus' name, amen.